Hello and welcome to this edition of SSI Live. My name is John Denny and I'm a research professor of National Security Studies here at the Strategic Studies Institute, or SSI, at the U.S. Army War College. It's Monday, October 16th, and today I'm joined by my SSI colleague, Dr. Chris Bolin. Chris is our Middle East expert, and I've asked him to talk to us today about U.S. policy toward Iran. Now, specifically, I wanted to speak to Chris about the president's actions last week with regard to the nuclear deal, better known as the JCPOA, or the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action. On Friday, President Trump announced his decision to disavow the JCPOA, declaring his intention not to certify Iran's compliance with the deal and threatening to leave it altogether if it wasn't amended in various ways. So to discuss these issues and more, I'm grateful that Chris has agreed to join and join us today and talk about this. Thanks, Chris. Welcome. Thanks, John. Looking forward to the conversation. Chris, let me ask first, before we launch into uh, the details of what happened last week and the implications, describe for us very briefly, what is the JCPOA and what do you think its record has been to date? Yeah, I mean, I think there are a couple key points to uh, recognize. One is that the JCPOA is a multinational deal, so it involved the so-called P5 plus one, all the permanent members of the UN Security Council, the US, UK, France, China, Russia, plus Germany, and it was formally endorsed by the UN Security Council. So it's a multinational deal. Um, it's not a binational agreement, and it's not a formal treaty that's been ratified by the U.S. Senate. Um, the other thing to recognize is, as the name would lead you to believe in terms of the Iran nuclear deal, it's strictly limited to nuclear issues on both sides. So in essence, Iran accepts stringent limits on its nuclear activities in exchange for U.S. and European and other allies lifting the sanctions that were imposed as a result of Iran's previous nuclear activities. So that means that Iran is, you know, not bound um, in terms of its behavior outside of its nuclear activities. And it means that the U.S. and allies aren't bound uh, to refrain from imposing additional sanctions on other activities um, of concern. But that they might have in terms of uh, Iranian actions in the region. Um, so I think those are key aspects or characteristics of the deal to recognize. In terms of what it's accomplished, by its own standards, um, it's accomplished quite a bit. Of course, President Trump and the administration, in terms of decertifying it, you know, don't think those standards are sufficient enough. But let me just run by the basics. I mean, Iran has reduced its stockpile of enriched uranium by some 97%. They've agreed to limit their enrichment to 3.67%, as opposed to the 90% that would be required for weapons-grade uranium. They've also significantly reduced the number of their centrifuges from 20,000 to 6,000, and they've accepted technical limits on further development of those centrifuges. Um, they also dismantled their heavy water reactor in Iraq, and that ensures that Iran uh, doesn't have a route to the nuclear bomb uh, through in, uh, enriching plutonium. They've also accepted the most stringent international inspections regime in history at all of its nuclear facilities. So the end result of that is we've moved Iran back from being within two to three months of what's known as the nuclear breakout capability, the time period that's required to actually produce enough enriched uranium uh, for a bomb to at least a full year. So, you know, pushing them back that far has been an accomplishment that supporters of the deal uh, certainly, you know, are, are go ahead and remind folks of quite frequently. And the um, 
agency charged with um, assessing Iranian compliance with the deal, the International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA, has certified and verified on multiple occasions that Iran's in compliance. And even the uh, senior U.S. officials admit as much as Secretary of State, Secretary of Defense, National Security Advisor McMaster have all agreed that, yes, Iran is in technical compliance with the JCPOA. So, Chris, with that as background, uh, let's talk about what happened last Friday. Now, separate from the JCPOA, uh, here in the United States, the president's required by Congress to certify, I understand, Iran's compliance with the deal every 90 days. And this past week, uh, we hit that uh, another 90-day uh, mark on the calendar, and the president did not uh, certify Iran as being in compliance. So c- can you describe to us a little bit more about what the president did on Friday and uh, – the fact that the president didn't leave the deal altogether and yet decertified, you know, that might be confusing to some folks. Can you describe, you know, what's the so what of that and what are the implications? Yeah, it is. So and let me parse a little bit in terms of the decertification. As you mentioned, that's strictly a U.S. requirement that's imposed uh, by the U.S. congressional uh, legislation. It has nothing to do with a formal deal in and of itself. And really, the president didn't you know, say that Iran, again, was in violation of the agreement per se. He said Iran was in violation of the spirit of the agreement because they were continuing these other destabilizing activities, um, such as supporting terrorist groups like Hezbollah, continued uh, ballistic and cruise missile development, etc. So he cited that in terms of a violation of the spirit, but not the technical details of the uh, of the deal. So that's what he did in terms of decertification. And the other important thing he did with the speech was he laid out um, what the administration is characterizing as a broader strategy to actually curtail or contain um, Iranian influence in the region. So that was the, you know, the two primary purposes of his talk, I think. Um, you know, where his um, gripe or complaints with with the deal are it's an admittedly imperfect deal. I mean, that's kind of the nature of a negotiated agreement. It's a difference between arriving at a diplomatic solution um, and negotiating with a partner and actually achieving a full-scale surrender. So there are certainly some aspects of the agreement that um, a lot of folks are not comfortable with. I think one of the most important uh, of those is the fact that the agreement does contain these so-called sunset clauses. So those restrictions on Iranian uh, nuclear activities that we talked about earlier, those expire after 10, 15, 20 years, uh, different aspects of that um, agreement actually do expire. And that's a concern to U.S. policymakers and the Trump administration. And certainly um, those other activities that we mentioned um, that Iran is continuing in the in the region that is a source of destabilization. Um, is an area concern, and the Trump administration would like that actually included um, in the deal itself. So that's a broader deal than just the nuclear deal in and of itself. Chris, let me ask you, what? Uh, let's take the president's perspective. What, what are the strongest arguments behind what the president has done in terms of the, the approach that was outlined with regard to the agreement last week and also the broader strategy toward Iran that the president has outlined? Yeah, I think that the you know strongest aspect of the approach is the expiration of those sunset clauses. I mean, that does allow Iran over a period of time, assuming it complies with the deal, to actually build and enhance its civilian infrastructure so that it'll be 
able to break out to a nuclear capacity in a shorter period of time down the road. What the you know supporters of the agreement, of course, are banking on is hopefully um, you know confidence building over that period of time, maybe a change or moderation in the regime um, as that confidence gets built. So they're hoping that over the long term that Iran actually becomes a more constructive, reliable partner on the international field. And so the, the argument that the Trump administration and opponents of the deal say, well, that's, that's a naive thought. And so what we need is those sunset clauses should actually be permanent. They should never expire, given Iranian uh, deceit in the past, uh, the fact that it hasn't openly declared all of its nuclear facilities in the past, that that's cause for concern, and so we shouldn't allow those sunset clauses to ever expire. So I think that's one of the things that the administration would really like to see in a revised uh, and strengthened deal. Now, despite that, we know uh, there have been press reports uh, significant disagreement within the administration. The senior most advisors, specifically Secretary of Defense Mattis and Secretary of State Tillerson, have been uh, mentioned in press reports as among those uh, who have argued that, in fact, the U.S. should continue to certify uh, Iran as in compliance and should remain part of the agreement. Now, I know you can't get into their minds, but what uh, what's your knowledge of the rationale that they have used or others to support the arguments that, no, the U.S. should stay in, that we should continue with this? Well, there may be at least, you know, two two arguments here. One uh, involves the larger credibility of the United States. I mean, this was an agreement that was painstakingly uh, negotiated uh, with, in, with U.S. leadership. And so the concern is if we back away from that negotiated agreement, what credibility do both allies and enemies alike, what credibility do they vest with the U.S. in terms of any agreement that we come to reach? And one of the you know areas they cite, of course, is Korea. We hope to avoid a military confrontation with Korea over its development of nuclear weapons and ballistic missiles. If they see us back and out of an agreement with Iran, the argument is, well, then that decreases their incentive to actually engage in any kind of negotiation over their nuclear program. So that's kind of a longer term, uh, broader argument. And the other argument that I think they will use is, well, look, this will, if we're viewed as the partner that breaks this deal, it's Colin Powell's adage, if you break it, you own it. If the U.S. is viewed by the international community and its allies as a partner that first walked away from this deal, well, then Iran can bank that, and they can actually, they have an excuse and a pretext to walk away from their you know, adhering to their agreements of the deal so they can start reconstituting their civilian nuclear program without these restrictions in place. So Iran will actually be a more um, capable and, and, part, and uh, you know, competitor of concern in the region. Because if you think deterring Iranian behavior in the region is tough now, you know, imagine how much tougher that would be if Iran was either a nuclear threshold state or an actual a nuclear power. So that, I think, is the more specific argument. Now, Chris, now that I've asked you to outline the, the pro and the con for us, uh, let me ask you to give us your sense. What's your sense of where U.S. interests lie in this case, and what do you think should be done? Yeah, I'm kind of on record and on balance being in support of this agreement. Um, you know, I do think that the uh, 
the argument that look if they're if we don't constrain them in the short term uh, they're not going to be constrainable in the long term so doing away with the agreement just gives them an, an unnecessary pretext for actually moving closer toward a nuclear weapons capability and you know they they too have political dynamics um, to work in Tehran I mean much like Washington I mean you know they have hardliners who are always been opposed to this deal view it as a sellout of their sovereign right to develop a civilian nuclear program and so they would love to see those restrictions lifted and that would give the hardliners in Tehran an actual leg up which I think is not in the long-term interest of the United States um, either. And I am concerned with, you know, credibility. I mean, other partners just taking a look at um, the overall pattern of the Trump administration backing away from international commitments, whether it's the uh, Trans-Pacific Partnership, the TTP, TPP agreement in Asia, whether it's uh, more recently UNESCO talking about uh, undermining NAFTA, and then just looking at that pattern of moving out of agreements and add that uh, to the uh, Iran nuclear deal. And then people do start, I think, questioning, okay, what's the utility of even talking to the United States and coming to agreement, whether it's trade, economics, financials, or security, if the U.S. itself isn't going to adhere to those agreements. Chris, final question for you, and that is, uh, I want to ask you the most difficult thing to do as a political scientist, and that is to get your crystal ball out and predict for us. Let me ask you, what's your... Uh, what, what's the outlook from your perspective, both uh, short and long term, in terms of uh, what we can expect, what we what might be expected to happen here with regard to uh, not simply the JCPOA, but perhaps with broader U.S.-Iranian relations? Yeah, let me kind of. I mean, I think you know, the, you have to. I mean, you can't predict the future um, with any degree of accuracy. It's particularly hazardous uh, in the Middle East as a whole. Um, you know, there is the most favorable outcome, right, would be that President Trump has proved right in this. And I mean that the, 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 the actual threat to walk away from the deal will actually cause our European allies, uh, even Russia, China, and Iran to kind of reconsider and, uh, and to make those compromises that, that he's looking forward to, those, the strengthening the enhancement of the nuclear deal as well as um, a more mobilized, orchestrated international effort to contain other Iranian activities in the region. So that's that's one outcome. I don't think it's likely because every leader, frankly, is on record saying that's not going to happen. The Iranians have understandably said, no, we're not going to renegotiate this. And the uh, Europeans as well have come out with a joint statement and said, no, we're going to fully adhere to the JCPOA. And even the uh, EU leadership has come out and said, look, this is a multi- lateral agreement. Um, it can't be abrogated by a single party. So I don't think that's a particularly li- likely outcome, but it's possible. Um, there's also the status quo. I mean, as we talked about, and the um, decertification really has no direct impact on the JCPOA itself. And over the weekend, senior administration officials were coming out and reminding folks that, hey, we're still adhering to the JCPOA. We just want to see these other changes made to enhance it. So we're still in compliance with the JCPOA. We want to see that um, continue. Um, 
I don't think that's sustainable because, I, I, for one, I think there will be pressure in Congress to actually do something to react to it in some ways. And a lot of uh, members of Congress are actually, you know, concerned about the nuclear deal and we're vocal in opposing it. So it'll be tough, I think, to totally ignore that. Um, the most dangerous outcome, and, and I hope it's not the most likely outcome, would be that if Congress does take a step to reimpose nuclear-related sanctions, um, Iran uses that as a pretext to actually back away from the agreement and say, look, we're not, we're not getting the relief economic relief we were promised in the deal. This no longer suits Iranian national interests, so we're going to go back to uh, status quo ante. We're going to go back to where our nuclear program was and essentially become a threshold nuclear state. And then the U.S. will have that very ugly choice of, are we going to accept Iran as a nuclear power, or at least a threshold nuclear state, or are we going to take military action to uh, delay that, if not uh, prevent it. So that's a very dangerous uh, scenario that I hope doesn't come to place, uh, take place. But you know that all all it takes is a couple of missteps on on either side in this very dangerous stance, and we could find ourselves on a path toward confrontation that I think certainly would not serve Iranian interest in the region, but I don't think would serve American interest either. Not dissimilar, it sounds like, from the conundrum we face now with regard to North Korea. Yeah, I think that's right. And again, depending on which side of the fence you stand on, folks are using that as a as a lesson learned. I mean, supporters of strengthening this deal, um, for instance, our ambassador to the UN was saying, "Hey, look, this is a lesson for North Korea. We're we're only going to accept a strong um, agreement." that actually does serve U.S. interests, so be prepared for a tough negotiation ahead. Of course, others, as I alluded to, are saying, well, look, this is exactly the wrong message we want to be sending to North Korea, that the U.S. can't be trusted to adhere to a, to an agreement that does limit um, other countries' options for nuclear development. Dr. Chris Boland, Research Professor of Middle East Security Studies, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your insights. Thank you, John. Appreciate it. It was fun. Listeners, you can now find SSI Live on TuneIn Radio and on popular podcast directories like Stitcher and at the iTunes Store. If you have any comments on our podcasts, thoughts on what you'd like to see addressed, or a response to something you heard here at SSI Live, please go to our website, ssi.armywarcollege.edu, find me, John Denny, in the staff directory, and send me an email. I look forward to hearing from you. For the SSI Live podcast series, I'm John Denny. Thanks for listening.